Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. Together, we can remix all the tapes and unconscious programming we have that usually trigger us into reactivity and find a new perspective that allows us to live life on life's terms with a measure of emotional sobriety. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it, review it, or share it with friends. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company, is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. Today, I started my morning with a cup of their Wild Iris Organic Coffee Blend, and if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Since I began this podcast, the question that I'm most commonly asked is, how do you decide what to talk about each week? And then the second question is, aren't you worried that you're going to say the wrong thing? To answer the second question, no, I'm not really worried. I created this podcast in the spirit of community, connection, and conversation. And I haven't declared myself an expert of anything. I'm just here asking questions every week and sharing some of what I've seen, learned, and experienced surrounding the topics I choose. It's really just a space for us to sit and talk around a virtual campfire, relaxing our nervous systems, finding our breath, and sharing as real people do, and talking about real topics that affect the body, mind, and spirit that maybe we usually tend to shy away from. And I always hope that it resonates for you, but if it doesn't, I am sure we will all survive. And how lucky are we to disagree with each other? Because disagreeing is such a privilege. But to answer the first question, which was, how do you decide what to talk about each week? I can honestly say it's pretty simple. I just listen to what the people in my life are talking about, 
what the themes are that are moving through the collective, and what's rising to the surface in my own life. In this week, a prominent theme in all of my conversations and in my own practice was the theme of abandonment and the many ways that it moves through our lives. And it's so interesting to me how people react or overreact when you talk about something like abandonment wounds. Because there's almost this pathologized image that comes to mind of a broken person crying who is incapacitated when anyone walks out the door. And I share that extreme image or example because I've often heard people say things like that when I've mentioned abandonment, whether I'm referring to myself, my own experience, or whether I'm introducing the slightest level of awareness into what I see is occurring with them. And I think it feels really safe for us to dramatize things that way because then we can distance ourselves from it and say, there is no way that I have an issue with that. Definitely not me. Look at me. I have a job or a relationship or I have kids or I have friends. There's no way that I could be struggling with that. When the reality is that we struggle with a million things each day that no one ever knows about. And we don't just get a hall pass on life until circumstances improve. All around us are people who are moving through their own problems and patterns, and these things still impact them whether they are the most extreme version of it or not. You can be in a loving, long-term relationship and have an abandonment wound. You can have a communicative relationship with your parents and still struggle with fears of abandonment. So let's begin there, with an awareness and an acceptance that many people suffer from and struggle with fears of abandonment, and that it shows up in our lives, in our energy, in our bodies, and in our relationships in so many different ways. In this episode, I want to talk about our first experiences with abandonment and how those wounds reappear in our lives. But I also want to talk about how there are times when we become the person who abandons others and times when we abandon ourselves. So what constitutes abandonment? I tend to veer towards how we feel about experiences versus how other people would categorize them. So there may be something that brings up significant fears and anxieties for you that wouldn't faze me at all, and vice versa. But some abandonment wounds can be caused by a prolonged illness or death of a loved one, parental neglect or abuse, stress, or trauma, maybe a significant rejection, whether that is a relationship coming to an end, infidelity, or someone ghosting you, maybe being fired from a job or kicked out of school or a program or group or community that you want to be a part of. Any kind of perceived rejection. Maybe someone hasn't physically abandoned us, but they have emotionally abandoned us. Maybe by stonewalling us or refusing to communicate. And they're doing this whether because they don't know how, because some people don't, or because they're using this as a tactic to manipulate and control us. So they stop acknowledging us as a way to create anxiety to wound us, or to maintain control. 
Maybe we have been financially abandoned. You might think it's strange that I bring up financial issues, but so often our finances and our stories about money are so emotional and triggering. Maybe we've been intellectually or spiritually abandoned for shifting or evolving our beliefs, and we no longer fit into the role or expectation that others have had of us, and so we cease to be part of a group or a family. And also the abandonment that comes from simply being who we are, being our most authentic selves. Sometimes walking towards our truth catapults us into a world where we are left alone and completely unsupported. That can be anything from getting sober and deciding that this is something you want long term. I hear that so much from people I know in early sobriety. One of the things that they fear the most is that all of their friends or their partner will leave them if they aren't who they were or if they change, or if they try to improve themselves. I also think about people exploring their gender identity or sexuality, and how there is such profound abandonment and rejection that can accompany that. So it's not about someone else perfectly defining your experience with abandonment. I'm sure I left a lot out. It's more about you taking an inventory of your own life, and looking at the experiences that had a major impact on you emotionally, and then exploring how, when, where, with who, and why did they show up in your life today. And when I think about abandonment wounds, I think about grief, fear, and anxiety, and how these things cause tension for us internally in our physical, mental, and emotional lives and how they cause tension externally with everyone and everything around us, at work, at home, and in our families, friendships, and relationships. And I mention grief, which might take you by surprise, but I mention it because we are losing something. There is a loss, whether it is distorted by our perception or very much happening in real time. And are we ever taught to grieve in healthy ways? Is this something we really learn a lot about in society or in our families? No, no one ever brings it up. So the grief is an important aspect of it. I think as we talk about abandonment, there are some important questions to ask ourselves in order to bring increased awareness to our thoughts and feelings. Maybe just putting pen to paper and actually writing these things down, whether that's chronologically or in some way that would bring order to some of the disorder and chaos of our emotions. And then alongside that, taking an inventory of experiences that bring up feelings of abandonment or fears of abandonment leading up to the present day. So the first question is, what have we grieved? And the other side of that question is, What have we not allowed ourselves to grieve? Because we can experience profound loss and rejection and never allow ourselves to process it. We can stuff it deep down inside and place all sorts of things in front of it to protect us from those feelings. Am I afraid of my emotions? Am I overwhelmed by my emotions? Do I allow myself to process them? Am I doing anything to block them or numb them? 
And these questions are a bit more complex, right? Because if we knew what we were doing to block or numb our emotions, wouldn't we stop doing it? Probably not, but (laughs) we like to think that we would. So these questions invite us to look at our coping mechanisms and our character defects and our self-sabotaging behaviors. What story am I telling myself about me, about my past, my worth, my feelings? Or what stories am I telling myself about other people? What is the tape that I constantly play in my head? What does it sound like? And who does it sound like? What is the secondary gain of me continuing to play this tape in my head? What would happen if I stopped? What would I have to face? Am I stuck on a loop? Is there a sense of safety in that loop and the repeating tape in my head? Am I telling myself, well, it's pretty damaging, but at least I know how the story will end if I keep listening to it. And do we do this as a way to not process our past? Is living in a mental loop a way to renegotiate the past instead of accepting it? Are we telling ourselves, if only this one thing or one event or one experience or one person could have been slightly different, then everything would be different. I would be different. Is this loop a way to not take accountability for ourselves in the present? Is it a way to abandon ourselves? Am I willing to let go of the story? Am I willing to spend more energy processing and purging old stories that have harmed me and held me back than I am obsessively curating my story? Okay, so that was a lot of questions, but I only have about a thousand more in this episode. (laughs) And so I invite you to play this part or other parts of this episode over again and maybe allow yourself that time and that space to answer a few of these questions and to allow for deeper awareness into your original wounding experiences and how they bring reactivity into your present life experiences. Abandonment can look like codependency, always wanting to please others or being a people pleaser, always saying yes, even to our own detriment. Saying yes to you means saying a really loud no to myself. Giving too much in relationships, not inviting balance. Losing our identities and maybe taking on the identity of another person. Or staying in relationships too long when they're no longer healthy, they're no longer loving, and just not being able to extract ourselves. It can show up as... Maybe an inability to trust another person, pushing others away to avoid rejection, only creating surface-level relationships, sabotaging our relationships, or the inability to maintain healthy ones. Maybe we are constantly testing people or monitoring them and waiting for them to fail so that we can be right. We can tell ourselves, you were right. You knew that this person would let you down. Maybe it shows up as 
feeling insecure in romantic partnerships and friendships. Maybe we're needing or even demanding continual reassurance that others love us and will never leave us. Maybe it's the need to control others or manipulate them. Maybe we are demanding trust and loyalty without offering it or doing anything to create it in the relationship. Maybe we're placing inappropriate expectations on our relationships. Maybe we're almost associating the relationship with a past relationship and putting all that weight on this new person. Or maybe we're moving quickly from one relationship to another and we really have no ability to create or contain any emotional intimacy. And these examples are by no means a complete summary of how abandonment wounds show up in our lives, but they do offer a broader picture for us instead of just assuming that an abandonment wound shows up as someone in tears grabbing at someone's ankles to prevent them from walking away. I had a conversation with someone this week where their abandonment wound rose to the surface as an extension of something that happened in their childhood. They wondered if the whole world was moving on without them. Was everyone forgetting about them? How could they possibly get their needs met? And it's really challenging for us as adults when these fears come up because Now we have agency, we have money and choices and a measure of control that we didn't have in childhood. So it almost doesn't make sense and it can bring up feelings of shame. Almost as if I know I'm having these childish fears, but they seem so disproportionate compared to what is actually happening. And it's difficult to talk ourselves out of our feelings or to rationalize our way back to the present. And I believe that childhood abandonment is pretty complex, mostly because of the circumstances in which it takes root within us. Maybe we had a severe experience, you know, loss, death, abuse, or neglect. And because we were children when it occurred, we didn't understand why someone left us or died or harmed us. At the time, we don't have the perspective or life experience to call on to relate to it or to adapt to the circumstances with emotional tools. Because of our age and our circumstances, we must depend on the adaptation and coping skills of the caregiver left behind. And if there was no one left with us to process these experiences with, Perhaps our perspective is distorted due to the collision of our fears, our anxiety, and our age and maturity at the time when it occurred. Something else that comes to mind, which is so normalized in society, is when a parent says something like, I will leave you. I will leave you here. When a child is being emotional or having a tantrum or acting out in some way. And you can say, hey, it's just a figure of speech. No parent would actually do that. I can tell you from personal experience that I have seen parents do that and have seen the absolute terror 
and anxiety that it creates in children. And they learn to obey and acquiesce out of fear. And what does that say to us about our ability to express emotion and our fears of people leaving us because of that emotion? What does it tell us about someone else's desire to invest in communicating with us or establish healthy boundaries? And what does that look like as we age? Do we feel safe not being perfect in front of other people? Or what about those moments when we feel unattractive or undesirable? How do we show up in our relationships and how do these early experiences form our habits? Do we begin to fall into a pattern of only feeling worthy or lovable if we have zero needs, zero physical needs, zero emotional needs, financial needs, if we make ourselves nothing, is that the only state in which someone can love us or put up with us? And when we are in loving partnerships, how does us having zero needs make the other person feel? In my mind, I can tell myself that it makes me easier to hold or more attractive or easier to love. But the reality is that having no needs and sharing no parts of our truth or constantly making ourselves small and invisible can really harm our relationships and actually make the other person feel unsafe. How does not sharing anything about ourselves make the other person feel? Well, we think that we're almost doing them a favor by sharing less of us, what is actually happening? Do we feel safe around people when we feel as if they are not being their authentic selves? Now, the opposite of that can be just as harmful to our relationships. When our unresolved experiences with abandonment bring up feelings of deprivation and we demand too much from other people. Do we need constant reassurance? Is there any level of reassurance that would actually satisfy us? Would any of it ever be enough? And what does that look like? Maybe that's putting people on a pedestal very quickly and assigning them positive characteristics or qualities that they don't possess and they've never claimed to possess And then us being deeply disappointed or even angry with them that they haven't met our expectations. But it also gives us an opportunity to knock them off a pedestal before they can ever hurt us. And does this act of building them up and knocking them down make us feel powerful or safe? Maybe it's demanding a level of intimacy or commitment that doesn't correlate to the relationship and then becoming angry with the other person for implementing boundaries or wanting space or restating their perception of the relationship. Has anyone ever encouraged you to really pause and reflect on your views about relationships? When was the last time you asked yourself, hey, do I have realistic views of relationships? Or am I grandiose in my thinking? Do I always want the fairy tale or do I always expect a horror story? 
Do we become angry when the other person won't do things for us that we believe they should do for us? You know, it's a great way to scare people away under the cloak of forced intimacy. In these situations, we can also begin testing people and laying out little traps for them and monitoring them. And it can make perfect sense to us as we go to any length to find that reassurance that we're constantly chasing. But it can feel incredibly violating and manipulative to the other person. And if they say that to us, we're like, I'm not manipulative. I'm not violating. I'm just trying to be, you know, intimate and create a relationship. But maybe the way that we are doing it is not healthy. You know, our hypervigilance can backfire on us. And instead of helping us to feel safe, it can just help us to be alone by cutting us off from really getting to know people as they are with all of their quirks and disappointments and differences. And if these behaviors that I'm mentioning resonate with you, a helpful question to ask yourself may be, how does my hypervigilance, my monitoring, and my testing destroy any efforts to build trust? Do we believe that we are mind readers? Are we playing emotional chess? Do we think that we should be able to make decisions for and assumptions for other people? Are we communicating verbally? Or do we spend our time hinting at things and playing the martyr? Do we have the ability to discern between our observations and our assumptions? Do we have any capacity to offer someone else the benefit of the doubt? and to allow them to speak for themselves or explain themselves during moments of miscommunication? Or do our assumptions take over and instantly push us into overreacting? Have we communicated what we want out of relationships and given the other person the respect and opportunity to make decisions about the relationship that we're forming? Are we sabotaging relationships and telling ourselves that this is a way to keep ourselves safe? Are we pushing people away with manipulative behavior or boundary-crossing behavior while wanting them to stay? Are we expecting them to leave anyway? So instead, we just constantly have our defenses up, waiting for them to leave, counting down the minutes, waiting and watching for them to fail us in some way? Are we creating self-fulfilling prophecies with these patterns and behaviors? And how do these behaviors take us out of the present moment or out of the present relationship? And if I'm never truly present, how can I ever get to know the other person or establish trust in true intimacy? Are we tricking ourselves into believing that hypervigilance, monitoring, and testing is us being emotionally aware and mature so that we can catch someone or trap them? Are we scaring people? That is a great question that I don't believe anyone asks themselves enough. Are we scaring someone else to increase our feelings of safety? And why do we think that that's okay? 
Are we already committing to being emotionally unavailable at the start of a relationship before the other person can really get to know us or decide that they don't love us or see a relationship with us? Are we constantly building a case against them so that we feel justified in rejecting them before they reject us? And even if this person somehow passes all of our little tests and schemes, do we know for a fact that we won't trust them anyway? whether or not they are trustworthy, because at the end of the day, we don't even trust ourselves. And are we escalating, distorting, or weaponizing every minor rejection or disappointment so that we just have ammo at all times? And this is a great point to pause and talk about how we can work with these things instead of being controlled by them or just overwhelmed by our own shame and disappointment? How do we work with things that have harmed us in the past in order to get to know ourselves better and to begin to take contrary action to hopefully achieve contrary results? Maybe all of our fear, anxiety, tension, mistrust, and hypervigilance really just need space to be heard. And I've talked about this in previous episodes, that maybe those voices are our wounded inner children having a tantrum and fighting for their lives to be recognized. And it doesn't have to be about ignoring them and just muscling our way to intimacy. I'm not sure that that even works. But it could be about setting healthy boundaries and creating time and space for these things to rise to the surface because you already know that they will. So why not be prepared? What is this anxious voice telling me to do? What is it telling me that you are going to do to me? Can I listen to it, let it know that it's being heard, and then allow our higher wisdom to guide us in the present? For my friend that I mentioned earlier, This week, that looked a lot like allowing her inner child to freak out a little and scream about her fears of being abandoned, neglected, and not cared for. And because she sat with it, because she shared it with me and a few other people, she was able to ground herself and take an inventory of her current physical, emotional, and intellectual resources, and then use them to her benefit. We can learn from our past and our past feelings, but we have to check in with ourselves often and ask, am I being present in my current life and relationships, or am I on a loop with my past and my old stories? And if I'm stuck there, what can I do to bring myself into the present and self-soothe in moments when my fears of abandonment are triggered? Is there another way to acknowledge and move through these feelings? And in what ways am I holding myself hostage in arrested development and continually recreating hurtful experiences of my past and telling myself, I know better this time. I'll do it right this time. No one is ever going to abandon me again. Yet, actively seeking out situations where we will most certainly be abandoned by someone. 
And how do I connect with the resources that I have access to in order to do this? You know, first, maybe just asking ourselves, what are the red flags within my own body? Do I have any awareness around what triggers me and how I react to it? What do I actually have in my emotional toolkit to navigate these situations? There's a saying, if the only tool in my emotional toolkit is a hammer, then everything I see will look like a nail waiting to be smashed. So do I have ways to self-soothe that support the life and the relationships that I am trying to create? And is there anything blocking me from introducing awareness to this? On some level, am I afraid of healing or developing healthier coping methods because that can be misinterpreted as me saying my pain was not real or not valid? How can I honor my experiences without being at the mercy of them or hurting others in reaction to them? And looking at this from another perspective, Do we ever abandon others to protect ourselves from being abandoned? Am I becoming the person who hurt me? Am I identifying with the aggressor because I associate my previous aggressors with power based on how much they hurt me? Did I see myself as having no power in those situations because I was hurt? How do I respond to kindness in my relationships? Am I sarcastic in an effort to deflect it and embarrass the other person because that makes me feel powerful? Do I make a show of rejecting someone's kindness? Do I go out of my way to be hurtful or humiliating? Do I find myself overwhelmed by my own needs, my fears, my anxieties, Or am I paying attention to what the other person is going through? Am I listening to them when they speak to me and tell me what they want and need? Do I think that I don't deserve any kindness or connection? Do I get defensive, cold, or emotionally distant? And does this constant hypervigilance and preparation actually protect us and make us powerful? Or does it simply wear us out and block us from presence and receiving what's being shared with us? Are these wounds self-sabotaging the very things that we want? You know, self-sabotage is a very delicate topic, and I always want to approach it with as much understanding and kindness as I can, because I know that it is incredibly difficult to work through. It can also feel loaded with blame and shame, and those two things can block us from exploring further. Self-sabotage can look like us seeking out superficial relationships when what we really want is depth, respect, intimacy. That looks like us seeking out people who are not emotionally available. And a phrase that I've used on this podcast in the past is, Don't go to the hardware store for milk. Are we seeking out people who have nothing to offer us emotionally and then being disappointed or angry with them when they can't give us emotional depth or connection? 
And are we seeking them out on purpose, yet without any awareness, because we're actually afraid of connection and intimacy, and it's safer to choose unavailable partners so that we never have to step into vulnerability and open ourselves up to the possibility of being hurt or even seen for who we really are. That can look like choosing partners with whom we are almost forced to keep things on a surface level with, despite deep down wanting that intimacy and connection with someone. And this cycle can reinforce so many of our unconscious beliefs about ourselves, and it hits rewind on that tape in our head that says, you will never have what you really want, you don't deserve what you want, and no one is ever going to love you the right way. And that tape can loop over and over and over again. And if anything that I just shared resonates with you, are you able or willing to see your own role in these dynamics? Or does the story that you replay tell you that it is always the other person who is at fault? That they have disappointed you? They weren't good enough or honest enough or emotional enough for you. Is that sometimes the case when dating people? Of course, that happens in partnership. Of course it does. But what I'm talking about here is if we find that it happens all the time and every relationship begins and ends in similar ways and we find ourselves doing a a character assassination after the relationship ends, and we're always left with these similar feelings, then it's important to take an inventory of it in some way. When we notice these patterns or are in some way forced to tell the truth about ourselves and are brought into awareness about ourselves, a helpful question to ask is, how can we show up for our lives with the resources and references that we now have as adults? Because we aren't children, we do have agency. We actually do have access to informational resources and tools to develop our emotional intelligence. It's not just based on what we feel and our overreaction. There's things that we can learn. There are also support groups or even outside help like psychotherapy. And if we find that we continually have challenging relationships and our fears of abandonment are driving us at top speed through life, it would probably be helpful to regularly engage in some kind of inner work that invites us to look in the mirror and ask tough questions in a safe environment. Like, what am I choosing? What am I recreating? What happened to me? And what were the consequences? Do I like myself? Can I tolerate being alone with myself? Or do I feel intrinsically unlovable and unworthy? And what can I do to heal these wounds and show up for myself? And do I have to do this work alone? Or does it happen in a relationship? And I want to pause and touch on that particular question for a moment because I know that there are so many differing opinions out there. I'm not here telling you which one to choose. I'm just offering my perspective. I know people who chase the next relationship and the next relationship 
And they refuse to do any of this work alone because they believe that these things can only be resolved in relationships. And on the other hand, there are some people who refuse to enter into relationships until they believe that they are completely healed. So this is what I think. I look at it as like when I used to work in restaurant kitchens. And some of you know that I used to do that. I worked front of house, but I also worked back of house. And when you're doing that, you have to do the prep work. You have to chop all the ingredients, portion everything out, look at your inventory, go over the specials for the evening, get the knives ready, set up your station. That way, when the order comes into the kitchen, you are completely prepared to jump in and put together a meal worth serving. Is that an oversimplification? Of course it is, but you get my point. We will make a mess of things in the kitchen unless we do our prep work, but we also won't know how well that prep work has gone or how we have improved our skills until we actually serve the dish. So maybe what I'm trying to say is that my little back-of-house food analogy is about bringing balance into these relationships. There's the prep work, and then there's being in partnership and seeing if you can actually put into practice all of the tools that you've gained along the way. And I want to come full circle on this topic and talk about the ways that we abandon ourselves. Because it's so easy to do. And whether it's our family or the media or somewhere along the way, some of us began to feel that something was wrong with us, that we were lacking or that there's nothing about us that's lovable or attractive, and we begin to fear being abandoned. And in some ways, we began abandoning ourselves. Maybe it happened all at once. We ditched our identity, our hopes, and our dreams like an anti-superhero, and we became something a little bit less, something that wouldn't ruffle any feathers or gain any attention. And if that's you, I invite you to call yourself back. The greatest love story of your entire life is the one that you will have with yourself, and maybe no one has ever told you that. You are the one you'll spend the most time with. You are the one you will be the most vulnerable and intimate with. You are the one that you will be left with when everything else and everyone else falls away. That relationship you have with yourself is sacred. Have you ever loved someone so much that you wish you could have known them when they were younger? Just that desire to have seen them when they were a kid or an awkward teenager in high school, just to know them in different stages of their lives. You actually get to do that with yourself. And for so many of us, it can feel like a burden. There are days when I think, my God, I need so much less of myself. My drive for perfection, my escapist defense mechanisms. That perfection can really harm me. That perfection is so unachievable that it can hijack my body, my mind, and my spirit so much that I don't even show up for my own life. And when I feel powerless, that perfectionism offers me a false sense of control and security. It gives me a task and some purpose. And I think to myself, if I can just do this one thing this week, everything will be okay. 
And I do this because the truth and the fact of my life is that so much is out of my control and it's really too overwhelming. You know, I have a soft spot in my heart for those of us who were abandoned, neglected, or abused by our caregivers in childhood. It's a particular kind of pain. And those fears of abandonment run deep. And if the few people in this world whose sole purpose was to love, protect, and care for us couldn't do that or wouldn't do that, what would ever make us think that someone else would? It also makes us wonder, would God abandon us? Would the universe just give up on us because we're too flawed or too difficult or too needy? Fearing abandonment from our first caregivers plants a seed of fears of deprivation. And we may spend a lifetime wondering, is there enough for me? Is there room for me? Do I belong here? Will I get what I need? Will someone take it away from me? Is there a limit of love in this world or in my life? I always like to say that God is an experience, not a person, and that God exists within me as me. And I say that because humans are flawed and very, very limited. But God, the universe, a higher power, it's something I can't even fathom. And it's precisely that humility that lets me know I am an integral part of this unfolding plan. But that plan does not revolve around me, my perfection, my worthiness, or my goodness. I get to exist here as me, and there is something greater than me that needs me just as I am. I am incredibly tough on myself. If you know me in real life, I mean, the way I talk to myself should be criminal especially when I obsess over the fact that I can't make everything happen for myself all the time and all at once and make it all last forever. I really struggle to believe that it's okay if my life unfolds in chapters and if those chapters don't look perfect. I have to set some things to the side every now and then, and it doesn't mean I've failed or I am unworthy. It just means not right now. Because lately I'm noticing how easy it is for me to assume that nothing could possibly turn out okay. Every phone call, every email, every news story has me bracing for impact. And that impact is rooted in fears of abandonment. And each experience is an opportunity to show up and do the next right thing, which is simple but not easy. Bullying ourselves over things that are completely out of our control has never gotten us anywhere, even close to the place where unconditionally loving and appreciating ourselves ever would. And if you are in a season of abandoning yourself or with a little reflection, you realize that that is the first thing you do when you are not feeling perfect or like your highest self, I just want you to know that you are not alone. You're not alone. I do it too. Other people do it too. And it's simply that first initial awareness and calling ourselves back to the present and creating a home in the present that can really help us move through that. 
So I'm just going to encourage you to do that today. And hopefully you have someone in your life that you can talk to if that's what you're doing right now. And if you're recognizing that, you know, I'm giving up on myself before anyone else does. And it's something I want to stop doing. I hope that me sharing this podcast this week and exploring this topic does resonate with you. I mean, I had like five people talk to me about abandonment this week. So that lets me know that contrary to my own belief, it's not just me. Other people navigate these things too. So again, you are not alone. One of my favorite little rituals that has traveled along with me throughout my adult life is reading the Modern Love column in the New York Times. And if you're not an avid follower of it, maybe you've seen seasons one or two of the miniseries that Amazon created. The stories are always so beautiful and so intimate. And maybe if you like this podcast, you'll like them too. There was one story written by Amanda Gefter about the challenges of sharing our realities and all of our insecurities in relationships and how our fears of being abandoned or being perceived as unlovable or unworthy can catapult us into black and white thinking and just overreacting to really self-sabotage and almost harm ourselves in relationships instead of looking at our partners and trusting them and seeing all the possibilities. And I wanted to share with you the ending of her beautiful short story. We talked about starlight and how it had begun its journey thousands of years ago and we were looking back in time. I thought how in a sense that's always true. My now is not the same as his and never will be. There's always a delay. Each of us living in the immediate past of the other, regardless of how tightly he wrapped his arms around my waist. We are all trapped in our own time zones. The best we can do is try to meet in an imaginary middle. As a token of our new living arrangement, I gave Justin an illustrated edition of The Day Boy and the Night Girl, a fairy tale by George MacDonald from 1882. Snuggling on the couch, we took turns reading chapters aloud to each other. In the story, a witch raises two children in captivity, allowing the boy to see only day and the girl only night. But one day, the boy stays out longer than he's supposed to, and when it gets dark, he becomes terrified. The girl finds him shaking in the garden and tries to comfort him. She explains how gentle and sweet the darkness is, how kind and friendly, how soft and velvety. Since she's wide awake, she promises to watch over him while he sleeps. When the sun rises, he awakens to find that she's now scared, a stranger to the sun, and so he carries her in his arms while she sleeps until dark. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.